0: record collection episode number 24 in this episode i'm talking to progressive rock musician dave kersner and we're going to talk about a classic genesis album the lamb lies down on broadway dave has a lot of ties to the band genesis Uh, too numerous to mention here i'll explain it all in the podcast and i'll let dave explain it as well but dave was the perfect person to talk to about a genesis album and he has selected the lamb lies down on broadway as his favorite So we're talking about that this week. Uh, We're also going to talk about uh, many of Dave's projects, what he's got going on, and just breaking down a very classic record. I hope you enjoy this. This It's a little bit different than what we normally do, but it's cool. Genesis is cool. And let's get to this week's show. Here we go. Logan, everybody, it's time for another episode of Michael's Record Collection. I'm very happy to have with me today. Uh, Recording artist Dave Kersner. Dave, thanks for being with me. Thanks for having me, Michael. We're here to talk about a very special album today, an an album near and dear to your heart, Dave. Genesis, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. And very excited to get into this with you, but first I want to talk about you. Uh, You have a couple of solo albums that have come out in recent years. New World in 2014, Static in 2017. Do you have another one on the way soon? I do, yeah. Got a title so for it? Uh, <laughs> I
1: haven't released the title for it. And I actually, I've, uh, I have this dilemma because I have another band project called in continuum mm-hmm. and I have songs that could be either on my next solo album or my, the next in continuum album. And I've ping ponged back and forth because they have the same players on them. And I'm like, well, it's the players of in continuum, but this really could be a solo album. But then again, it's probably a good in continuum album. I can't even decide. So at some point, I'm going to decide. But you know, as uh, Pink Floyd once said, um, you can't have your pudding if you don't eat your meat. So I have committed to a bunch of live albums for all those for my solo projects, but my for different lineups and in continuum and, and continue, I mean, even Vega, another project to have mm-hmm. uh, that you know are these like sort of compilation box sets with the live portion and i gotta tell you that doing these live the, to the way that i like to do them is as much work as doing like a studio album so but I, i'm not going to allow myself to indulge even though I've, I've worked on it for years so i've got a, a lot of studio albums that can be released relatively quickly but i'm just not going to do it until i finish the live albums because that's what everyone does know the name of and some have pre-ordered it or backed it with kickstarter so mm-hmm. i'm like all right you know i'm gonna get those <laughs> done and then as soon as that's done i'm gonna explode with all this uh new original songs studio album so
0: that sounds great uh you mentioned mantra vega that's uh you had an album out in 2016 called The Illusions, Reckoning. This is a project you did with Heather Finley, formerly of uh, Mostly Autumn. Uh, Anthony uh, and Anthony Lucason played on this. Uh, Irene Janssen and Troy Donically I mean, these are are, are well-known musicians. Uh, it had to be a blast playing with those guys.
1: Yeah, and David Kilminster from Roger Waters' mm-hmm. band yeah. and Steve Wilson's band. Yeah, they're great. And that's f- through Heather, really. Um, you know, I kind of uh, adopted – my UK York family, you know, Alex Cromarty and Stuart uh, Fletcher also ended up playing live with me and my band. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like a studio project because uh, it was transatlantic like that. And we never did a live show together, but we kind of did one time in uh, the border Eyes, So we have that show recorded. So uh, with a few liberties of me adding some keys that I would have added and some things we, if we had done it, we, Heather and I decided like, why not as a one-off thing, have what would be, you know, it's really the Heather Finley band with me sort of just engineering and, and adding some keys and -hmm. producing. But, so that's another thing that I decided to do, Uh, you know, it's the possibility of doing some new songs too, but she's pretty busy and I'm busy, but we talked about that too, Mm -hmm. but it's just a little harder when it's transatlantic like that, especially now with traveling. Yeah. Yeah almost impossible i mean even simon collins from sound of contact and i were talking about working together but it's like we like to work together in person and that's just not that easy to happen right now so you know whenever things ease up you never know what'll happen but i've got i've got a full plate anyway of of
0: things (laughs) it sounds like it sounds like you're very busy and i just talked uh, in february with Another bandmate of yours, Billy Sherwood, about Arc of Life, which came out this year uh, with uh, Billy, Jay Shellen, John Davison and Jimmy Hahn. And that must have been uh, fun. And I know that Billy wanted to take that on the road when you guys can get out.
1: Yeah, uh, being part of that is cool. Um, It's ironically, you know, all these other projects are with me being, let's say, one of the lead songwriters and co-producer or producer of the project. That one, I'm not. I didn't write any of the songs on that album. Mm-hmm. I'm just the keyboard player. I didn't produce it. <laughs> so it's actually a relief. I mean, as much as I do like to do all that stuff, it's kind of fun to kind of learn and be part of something that's like got a captain. Billy's the captain pretty much of that band. Yeah. And so, you know, if he says, hey, we're going on tour. I mean, to be honest with you, though, I got to say, like, they're crazy because, um, you know, they're, <laughs> the so half that band, more than half the band, is in Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and they're busy touring with Yes, and it's like if I was touring with Yes, I wouldn't want to also tour with another band. I'd be like, I want to chill out at home until we tour again. <laughs> but that's me. But uh, fortunately for me, I don't tour much at all. So you know, if they want to tour all year round, that's that's their problem. But for me, I get to kind of you know, if we do it, it'll be a lot of fun because, um, and I love hanging out with those guys I, I've, I've worked with them in different capacities, uh, except for Jimmy. And I really like Jimmy. I, I would totally work with him anyway, my kind of person. So just really nice guys, fun to hang out with. So that'll be, that'll be a good time. Plus I got to learn. I can't say review what we're going to play, but the plan, if we do live shows, if, when, you know, pretty much when is, let's just say this, I gotta be very careful. <laughs> um, <laughs> for yes fans and for Chris Squire fans and for Billy Sherwood fans and for like, you know, fans of arc of life and, and all the, you know, let's say eras of yes and different things. There's something special in the live show that would be worth coming out for, I think. And you're not going to get that from yes. And, and, and cause it's, it's purposely not meant to be, stepping on the toes of yes you know so it's mm-hmm. like you go see a yes show you're gonna see what they do like relayer and the new album and things like that mm-hmm. and then you go see this show and you see things you maybe thought you'd never hear i don't know you know so i'll just say leave it at that but it's gonna be fun
0: well that sounds intriguing i i have to say so we've 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 established your credentials uh, just from a musical standpoint but you also have worked with a, a veritable who's who of of artists with your Sonic Reality and music sampling and your music software stuff. Who are some of the, the favorites that you've had uh, over the years that you've worked with on the, that project? Well,
2: I
1: mean, you know, they're all, to me, they're all favorites. Because if I worked with them, it was because I wanted to. I kind of, it's, it's sort of, my company Sonic Reality has been around since the 90s. It's been a labor of love since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, I started it because I collected keyboards Uh, Vintage keyboards and instruments and then I I was like, well, I've collected them, what should I do with them and I'm like well I'll sample them, so that other people can use them because they're very hard to find. So I sampled the instruments for Roland and Alesis for these expansion vintage expansion cards and then later you could do your own sample library so I created sonic reality. And then. Years later, Tony Banks from Genesis uses Sonic Reality and IK Multimedia, which is the bigger company that makes the software plugins now
2: that house Mm -hmm.
1: those sounds and more. And Keith Emerson, rest in peace. Uh, Neil Peart, we sampled Neil Peart from Rush, also rest in peace, really sad. Some of the people that we worked with, we were very lucky, especially in retrospect of them not being around anymore, just, just to meet them and to work with them. It was fascinating. Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, Alan Parsons, so many, and it's you know been just awesome. I and Ken Scott who recorded the Beatles and David Bowie and you know these are and Nick Davis of course and Hugh Padgham. So the guy, but two producers for Genesis, producer engineers, and these are all these have been kind of mentors for me just because you know hanging out with them and working with them and being so interested because i've always been interested in the production side as much as actually the playing side and being on stage as the behind the scenes was you know the album credits kind of you know like who who's responsible for this who got that drum sound how'd they yeah. do it so i've recorded at Genesis Studio and dissected, you know, with them and the engineers exactly what mics they use, which I, I now own a lot of those mics from the studio, along with the keyboards, which, you know, and, you know, just learn from the masters, like how to produce records and how to get certain sounds and, and their approach to all those great classic albums. And so through Sonic Reality, you know, without even having that as an intention per se of I'm going to use this to like work with my heroes. It was never that intention, but it ended up actually because the the tools that I've made with Sonic Reality and also helped with IK Multimedia happen to be the kind of tools that musicians and producers from so many genres use. But a lot of my heroes, like I helped John Paul Jones with Mellotron sounds for them crooked Vultures tour and had a whole conversation with him. He's in my phone. I can't just call him (laughs) randomly, but like he's in my little Rolodex, you know. So I mean, it's been just incredible. And uh, like I said, these are the masters. These are my teachers, and and just to, it's not just a novelty to me. I just respect them, and and uh, I don't like to be a pest and bother them. But the times that I've had with them have been very
0: useful. Very, I've learned a lot in the process. Okay. So let's talk about a little bit why you're the perfect person to talk about Genesis now. You've played The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway with Kevin Gilbert, or at yeah. least a, a good chunk of it at, at uh, pro, was it ProgFest 94, I believe? Yeah. It's a 20-year anniversary of, uh, of The Lamb. Uh, you have worked with Simon Collins, son of Phil. You've worked with Steve Hackett on Genesis Revisited. You've, I mean, your, your credentials are there. You mentioned the keyboards. Tell me a little bit about the Tony Banks keyboards you've been uh, hashtagging about on uh, on Facebook. Well, okay, so it's
1: it all started actually years ago. I'll do a short version summary. <laughs> so I played the Lamblies Down on Broadway with Kevin Gilbert and Nick. D- I played keys and, and Nick D- Virgilio was on drum stand. Cody on guitar mm. worked at Fender and Dan Hancock on guitar. Uh, Stan on bass and guitar. The Rutherford part, and um, so. In 97, I believe it was, you know, the early days of the Internet, uh, that Genesis had announced they were looking to replace Phil Collins, mm-hmm. drums and vocals, and they were doing auditions. So I recommended Nick DiVirgilio online <laughs> in a news group. And it turns out that uh, Nick Davis, their producer, who I'm now friends with, uh, but I wasn't at the time, saw that and it helped Nick get the audition. And I said, like, we, I played the lamb with him. He's amazing. He's on tour with Tears for Fears, so he's a Mm -hmm. pro, you know, and so he got the gig, actually, he got the audition, and then, you know, he got the gig uh, playing half the drums on the album, along with Near Z, who I don't know, but I've met him since, a very nice guy, Mm -hmm. and Ray Wilson, who I also uh, am friends with now, and he's a really nice guy as well, and I thought they did a great job that album is not my favorite genesis album i'm not saying but but it was still it had potential actually a lot of people feel like they could have done something but it's tough shoes to to fill no pun intended right uh, but uh in any case i was so shocked nick's wife tiffany had called me or messaged me or something like that and she said did you say something on some forum or something or whatever about nick and i'm like yeah he's like well he got the gig you know they mentioned that and i'm like really and so I went on the forum and I said, you know, I just want to say that, uh, you know, Nick, De- Nick Virgilio, you know, I posted it and, and they saw that. So somebody from Genesis Camp is reading this and I think that's amazing. And yeah. then Nick Davis private messaged me and he said, that's not that amazing. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, so I, I made friends with him. Nick Davis ended up uh, mixing Sound of Contact Dimension Out for us. Great album. And, and thank you. And he and that was incredible talk about i mean i learned so much from watching every movie made and it's funny we offered him a chance to to co-produce the album simon collins and i co-produced it and we mm-hmm. said you want to co-produce it with this because i mean you know you're the one who you know produced xtc genesis marillion and he was so cool he was like no 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 you guys are doing a good job if if, if i'm listed people are gonna just think it's me so i'll just mix and you guys produce i mean i'll never forget that that's like class Anyway, yeah. so but I, I learned from him. And anyway, long story short, I worked at the farm a bunch of times with Nick sampling instruments and stuff. And then also some sessions even uh, with Colin Edwin for Porcupine Tree and a bunch of stuff when they were allowing sort of outside sessions for a little window of time. And, I, you know, I'm friends with Tony's. You know, I met Tony and I'm friends with Steve Hackett. Like I can go out to dinner with Steve Hackett. I don't go out to dinner with Tony, but I've talked to Tony. He likes me. He knows who I am. And, you know, that's how it is. But I'm friends with his tech, Jeff, and their tour manager, Pud. So when I was there last and I was pulling out keyboards, his classic keyboards from the back, and I'm like, oh, where's the Mellotron Mark II? And Jeff's like, oh, yeah, we sold that. You sold that? And I'm like, dude, (laughs) (laughs) next time you sell something, please let me know. You know, I'd be, I'd totally be interested, and you know, it's funny, like you say these things, and I said it almost slightly in jest, but like I remember being at a studio called Ocean Way, and I said to Rush's A and R man, "Hey, you know, if Neil Peart ever wants to do a drum sample library, let me know," and I was almost kidding, and he did. He said, "You know what? You still want to do that drum library?" So this is what happened. They contacted me first. Because it was on their mind, like, you know who would like this? <laughs> they're were get they they're downsizing. They're, they have home studios now. They're not really using the farm anymore. Yeah. And they were just clearing out the warehouse of stuff, you know. And um, so they're like, you know who would love this? Dave. And, they, you know, I saw a short list of people. It wasn't a public thing. It was all people they knew and worked with. It's mm-hmm. like I, I, I was on an email thread. And it was like maybe seven or eight people. And I was one of them. And I was fast. I was like, yeah, I'll take this, 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 this. And then I even like, I'm like, I can't afford to borrow. I was borrowing money anyway, but I'm like, there's only so much you can borrow. So uh I got a few producer friends of mine to get a few other things. And then even then, w- one of them bought the ham, in, the ham in Oregon that he used on the lamb. I'm like, why did I not buy that? Uh, so, And But I'm sampling <laughs> So I, I, but I got his ARPS, his Mellotron, the RMI, yeah. you know, a bunch of stuff. So I, I, I maxed out uh, my credit, <laughs> to get all this stuff. but you know, they were, and then Jeff said something really amazing, Jeff uh, calling him Tony's tech. And he said, I can't imagine it going to a better person. I mean, not as if a good person, but like an appropriate person, because he knows mm-hmm. that I'll use it it's not going to just be like some rich guy's like mantle and some, you know, right. Yeah. It's not a
0: conversation piece for you.
1: No, I mean, it is, but it's also just like, Hey, I'm going to write new songs with it, Mm -hmm. even use it on tributes. And so it would would be good in the hands of somebody who was doing a tribute thing, but I'm doing a tribute album. I don't play in a tribute band, but I write, I write new music, so it'll get used. It'll get up Mm -hmm. kept and, and you know, and I'm even doing a tribute to the Lamb, by the way. So it's another reason that I'm doing a special sort of film scoreish, you know, meets rock album version of it, like with an orchestra mixed with, mm-hmm. with a full band. Uh,
0: you've worked with Nick De in the past. Nick has done the Lamb in his Rewiring Genesis uh, project, um, plus you know, playing on uh, on the Giraffe stuff. Uh, and I can't think of a more appropriate person to talk about this record. Lamb Lies down on Broadway. Why this album, Dave?
1: Well, first of all, interestingly, since you brought that up, the whole reason I'm doing my own version of The Lamb is because Nick did rewiring Genesis and they didn't use keyboards. That's interesting. That's bold, <laughs> I said. But it doesn't have the lambience. you know. It, it it it's good. He did a good job, and actually, Tony Banks likes it a lot. Oh yeah, the whole story about. Oh yeah, like Tony heard it later on, didn't even know that Nick sang, and then he told not he through Nick Davis they told he, they told me that uh, had they known that Nick DiVirgilio could sing because he didn't audition for vocals back then. He didn't mm-hmm. he didn't even sing lead with uh, Spox Beard yet that he would have might've have gotten the whole gig replacing Phil Collins on vocals and drums. And I told Nick that, and Nick was like, Oh, well, he's such, he's got such a good attitude. You can't, I wasn't trying to bum him out or any, anyway, but I was trying to like tell him like, dude, he's like, well, I'm just happy I got to play with them at all, whatever. And I don't know if he like, you know, when it's, when it's told through two people, it kind of feels like maybe it's not exactly accurate, but then, apparently nick davis and tony banks went to go see him play drums with cirque du soleil and they went out to dinner with him and they told him themselves exactly what <laughs> i told him so, you know by the way and uh, he must have been just beside himself like what but anyway um I, when he did rewiring genesis and he had a few other things that he and mark hornsby the co-producer of that had some tracks like in the cage with the london philharmonic or something and some other things i'm like oh like don't just release it as a bonus track i'll license all your tracks i'll add keys i'll have francis dunnery sing i'll have some other people from early you'll know, see rothery and i'll just do another version of it and and so i did so i actually built my lamb off so it's nicky virgilio on drums and martin Lavac on other drum tracks that were done differently sometimes they did like a bluegrass-ish version of Slipperman, and yeah. we weren't going to do that like i i kind of you know, I consulted with Francis Dunnery from It Bites, who's the singer, is the rail of the thing. And he's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do the bluegrass version. I want to do, you know, a more traditional version. So we had Martin play a traditional version of that and some of the other songs, too. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's, the, you know, a lot of the orchestral stuff, some release, some not, and Nick on drums with me on keys. And I even got some of the guys from Giraffe to oh. join as well as kind of like a reunion you know, and for the love of Kevin and the lamb yeah. and all that stuff. So it's a labor of love. It's I've been working on it for over 10 years, but we're going to release it either this year, probably this year, actually, because okay. of Genesis.
2: Yeah. But yeah. anyway,
1: that's us talking about the lamb itself. What do you want to know? I love mm-hmm. the lamb.
0: Favorite, favorite Genesis album. I would say
1: probably. Yes.
0: Yeah. Favorite album
1: what's in the top 10 favorite albums of all time i don't know i mean maybe it's i don't know i mean it's hard to say i don't really rate albums like that and stuff and as much as i love the lamb uh, i could criticize it too you know Mm -hmm. like it's a little cryptic i think gabriel did a brilliant job but he's a little bit sort of out there and it's not like you open it up and, and, and it explains it. That yeah. would have been cool when you open it up and, like, you know, there's a stick in my eye or whatever. You know, it's like, even <laughs> more. You know, like, okay, maybe I won't get the answers from that. Um, but, you know, as a work of art, it's brilliant and it is, you know, full of incredible melodies and great chord changes from Tony and cool sounds and killer drumming. Phil Collins, you know, it's like people. It's whenever I see anybody sort of get on Phil Collins' case because he's a pop star and all this other stuff, I'm like, and you're a Genesis fan, it's like, don't forget, this is like one of the best drummers of all time in rock. And the stuff that he did, you know, it's like, you know, forever preserved in these great albums. And it's like, don't be too hard on the guy. I mean, he gave us these albums with such amazing. And his backing vocals with Peter Gabriel. That's another thing about this album that I love is you hear more. You hear a lot of Phil blending with with Peter Gabriel, like Carpet mm-hmm. Crawlers. Oh, I you know every song on this album is amazing.
0: Let's let's get into this a little bit. It's the sixth Genesis studio album, falls between Selling England by the Pound and a Trick of the Tail. It was released on November eighteenth, nineteen seventy four, on Charisma and Atco Records. Uh, conceived and written during three months at the historic Headley Grange, where Zeppelin, Fleetwood Mac, Bad Company have all been, from May to July 1974, recorded at Glass uh, Glasspant Manor in Wales from August to October 74, co-produced by John Burns and Genesis. Burns started working with Genesis uh, on Foxtrot and co-produced the next three albums, Selling England, uh, Genesis Live and The Lamb, engineered by David Hutchins, Sleeve design and photography by Hypnosis. Very iconic uh, cover. Personnel, Peter Gabriel, his last album with Genesis. Lead vocals, flute, and what they call experiments with foreign sounds. (laughs) Uh, Steve Hackett, acoustic and electric guitars. Mike Rutherford, bass and 12-string guitar. Phil Collins, drums, percussion, vibraphone, backing vocals. Second lead vocal in Counting Out Time, Supernatural, Anesthetist, and Colony of Slippermen. And Tony Banks. Hammond T-102 Organ, RMI-368 Electra Piano, and Harpsichord Mellotron M400, ARP Pro Soloist Synthesizer, uh, Elka Rhapsody String Synthesizer, and Piano. Did I get everything there? I think so. R 2600, that's also on the record. Somebody play And uh, Brian Eno was a guest on this uh, with something called "Enosification uh, of Vocal Treatments on In the Cage and the Grand Parade of Lifeless Packaging. So some chart success for this album uh, it was number 10 in the UK albums chart was number 41 on the Billboard 200, number 15 in Canada, 24 in New Zealand and number 80 in Australia. It went gold in the United States, the UK, France and Canada. This album had three singles off of it, one in the U.S. and two in Europe. And you mentioned the story. The basics of it, I guess, are Rails' uh, journey of self-discovery and identity, but it's a very opaque and uh, hard-to-follow story, I guess, is, is a good way to put it.
1: Yeah, so story-wise, I wouldn't say that I'm like the expert on interpretation. And to a certain extent... I kind of um, with certain bands, especially progressive rock bands and especially Genesis, actually, when the lyrics are kind of just not clearly painting the picture for me, which for better or worse, when I write lyrics, I tend to do that. It's very accessible. There may be metaphors and things like that, but it's not so cryptic that you can't kind of make your own version out of it with yes. I'm sorry, with Genesis and yes, Purple Wolfhounds and whatnot. There's a bit of kind of like, I would leave it to be vague and enjoy the melodies and the phrases and kind of get my own sort of vague sense of the story um, mm-hmm. without thinking about, let's say, too much detail about he goes to see a doctor, the doctor castrates him, puts his in a little tube and then a raven sweeps i mean it's a weird story like even <laughs> yeah i, I don't need to think about that i'm just enjoying the music at that point you know but uh but to a certain extent and, and then you know but there's this kind of i mean i was even just listening to the lamia the other day which is one of the most beautiful songs and you know what's happening in that song It's kind of gross, you know, like these snake, beautiful women, sirens come after him. And then somehow he's got garlic, like uh, vampires, and they're all dead. And then he takes his flesh, he's going to keep it put in his backpack for food, you know, his chocolate fingers. I mean, this is like, damn, this is wow, what the hell's going (laughs) on here? But, you know, that's if you're sitting there and really dissecting the lyrics, no pun intended, and like really kind of thinking about it. But to me, you know, It's What's beautiful about music, especially progressive rock music, where there's a lot going on, there's a lot of layers of music, layers of lyrics and meaning and different things, you can kind of focus on that or not focus on it and just kind of get the the, the overall adventure vibe of it and he's going through these things, you know, and then you can stop stop and sort of like think almost like with the other side of the brain like what's going on like what's the deal with his brother john is it really him yeah all those kinds of things and in the metaphors and whatnot i mean even like it's only not gonna know all i mean i'm skipping to the end here but i like it i don't really know what what he's means you know if if he's just trying to say "Ah, i i don't know you know i don't know if i even want (laughs) to know um but i like it (laughs) yeah so it's just kind of Peter Gabriel being out there and yet he's brilliant. So it's, like I said, it becomes, some of it becomes sort of abstract art. And I think also, by the way, I'm not hundred percent sure on this, but I think the other members of Genesis who didn't write it almost kind of feel the same way. They're sort of like, I don't know what it's about. Really? I don't know what he's is. Cause they didn't really, you know, so, and it's strangely actually, I mean, I want to, like, I'm surprised some of them I won't say who, but it's not like it's not really their favorite album, or it's one of their least favorite albums. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, maybe because it was personal for them and the t- difficult times and all that stuff that's attached to it. You yeah. can't imagine what it's like to be in their shoes. But I remember sort of saying, like, are you kidding me? This is a masterpiece. You know, <laughs> yes. I think I was talking to Nick Davis yeah. or somebody about it. And I'm like, This is, you know, but uh but it is and it's very different from all their other albums and you know i was thinking another thing about the lamb recently just like because i've been well i've been really i mean i've listened to genesis for years but lately because i have tony's keyboards i've been heavily like really listening to every album from trespass to let's say abacab Mm -hmm. um and focusing on different things like the sounds and and just just listening to it in the car and stuff and I was thinking about how the lamb had kind of evolved into a a mature album for them. You know, they had kind of just built sophistication in what they were doing. And even though selling England is maybe one of their best sounding albums from a production standpoint, but, and the lamb is a little rough around the edges because they recorded with a mobile studio. Ironically, I have two channels of, of what they use the Helios for that Headley Grange mm-hmm. uh, studio, but they used, the, I think they used the uh, Rolling Stones mobile truck and they, they just, it just was a big project, especially back then to do a double album and then with Peter leaving it, it's, I think it's a little there's, there's some trade-offs in the production, but in terms of the um, you know, like the, it sounds good anyway, but it's a little bit mm-hmm. sort of not as crystal clear as, as Selling England or Trick of the Tail after it. But uh, but it still sounds gritty and uh, atmospheric and, and the whole kind of everybody sounds great on it and everybody's kind of come into their own. And of course, Peter Gabriel as well. Like that's his that's his best work with Genesis besides Supper's Ready, I, I think. I think mm-hmm. he probably thinks as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's so like I was thinking, I mean, you know, not that every every Genesis fan hasn't thought this, but like, what if they had carried on? Yeah. Like what album would they would they have made Trick of the Tail with Gabriel, maybe, or would they have kind of evolved in like what would, would have been the next thing after the Lamb with Peter and Steve together with the band, and it's like well we'll never know but, uh, but the the like I said the combination of Phil and Peter's vocals that's serious magic, and just everything about that album is is uh, super cool. You know yeah. the sounds, Tony. I mean, yeah, he really just by that point just became you know, because I mean, selling England was the first time he really just started using synths because they didn't he didn't really have it before then, but he had mm-hmm. the ARP and then then he involved the ARP because, like I said, I think there's Ravine is an ARP 2600, you know, there's some other things. I don't know if he, oh, I don't think he owned one yet, but um, and I have one of his ARP 2600s now, and the one he kept is as uh, rev two's uh, serial number zero 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 one they gave him the first one of the next rev and that's probably the one he used on um, uh, maybe wind and weathering would be the first time but anyway some great synth work and keyboard work on that album i mean there were on the previous albums too but mm-hmm. but like i don't know just the whole thing kind of came together for this album
0: yeah a lot I'd of say. jamming on this album uh leading to a lot of what they did and, and it's it, it kind of bears out in some of the longer longer songs on the record starts off with the lamb lies down on broadway title track it was a us single but it did not chart it did receive fm radio play the single had counting out time on the flip side and right away it's it's a different sound for genesis the key the keyboard intro the the piano intro right away is this is nothing that that they've ever done before.
1: Fascinating to me, though. It's so true. Yet, um, I uh, have the box sets, which are amazing. I love all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they had some early recordings that I think had like early version of Anyway or some other lamb stuff. And you're like, he had some of those ideas as early as 1970 or 69 or something. Yeah. And that's surprising because it, it does actually seem like. They just evolved into this kind of, you know, with the lamb talking about the song, the lamb, you know, you've got this real kind of classical piano beginning. And, you know, Mm -hmm. even though you have that sort of thing in some ways uh, with for the fifth before it, this was different. This was really kind of darker, more intense. And he's doing this cross-handed thing that he had kind of come up with, which, well, or I think he, he was influenced by another band as Propel possibly, but uh, but either way, I, I just recently read that actually, but, um, and I've never asked him, but, but either way, it's got his kind of signature became a signature thing that he does because he uses it on carpet crawlers as well. And mm-hmm. so all arpeggiated things and these runs. <laughs> and, and then of course, it's an interesting thing because when you have a progressive rock band like Genesis, of course, you know back then i don't know what they called it or thought of it art rock or they just were influenced by i don't know yes gentle giant king crimson the other bands that were doing that it was like oh okay in england especially like now's the time to kind of bring in some classical and be eclectic and whatever and mellotrons and, and just go for it but with all of them writing they had this kind of like victorian english themes and kings and you know all this that's kind of you know regal hogweeds and all this kind (laughs) of like lore and 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 lord of the rings you know whatever like just all that kind of stuff and when gabriel said hold on a minute let can i just write the lyrics for this album and they were probably like well you know no (laughs) but okay i guess you know they're probably they like to write the lyrics too you know or some of them did tony did certainly and uh So they let him write the lyrics and for better or worse, but like it resulted in this edginess that they never had. Maybe a little on Supper's Ready, but this was just like the sawdust kid spits out his scorn and all this kind of like, you know, even starting with the lamb, Mm -hmm. you know that you're in for a ride. That's just not what you're used to. It's not uh, Kings and Queens and all that kind of (laughs) stuff. This is like, you know, some, uh, punk kid with an aerosol can and weird sh- shit's gonna happen and but that's that's part of what's great about it.
0: Yeah. Did you have it on vinyl back in the day?
1: Oh yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I have. Someone, gave, Mark Hornsby, actually gave me the vinyl and I, and I framed it. I have it on the wall. I can't really show you, but it's uh, it's right there on the wall. But yeah, I had it back in the day, and uh, you know I have the CD and I have the box set and I have every version I guess that exists.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, same. Uh, so the first side, side one, as as, as I mentioned, "Lamb Lies Down on Broadway," "Fly on a Windshield," "Broadway Melody of 1974," "Cuckoo Cocoon," "In the Cage," and "The Grand Parade" of lifeless packaging. Do you have a favorite from side one?
1: I love it all, but uh, "In the Cage" is obviously just well. No, I can't. I love it all. In the Cage, obviously, like, as a keyboard player, like I listen to things. As a, just a listener, mm-hmm. just a music lover, as a songwriter to be inspired or whatever, to understand it from you know appreciation of songwriting as a producer, as a keyboard player. But my and I play other instruments, too. But my main instrument has always been keyboard. So I remember when I was a kid and I had classical lessons and uh, I'll be short with this. Don't worry. But uh, and I, I fired, you know, I got, my, I got my family, all my family members were we were all taking lessons from this stiff. And we were like, this guy sucks. You know, can we just, and we fired him. And then I found this, or my mom found this teacher who would like, was younger and he would teach me anything. And one of the first things I said when I auditioned him to teach me, I said, would you be willing to listen to something, figure it out and teach me how to play it? And the first thing was uh, in the cage solo from the Three Sides Live though. But, you know, I said, can you learn that and show it to me? And, and he was great because he learned it and then explained it to me. He's like, you know, what Tony's, what he's doing there is like, he's doing a lot of diminished scales and stuff. So he would explain the theory behind it. Yeah. And I, that helped. I was like, Oh, really? And he's like, it sounds crazy, but it's really just diminished. Scale. This is the, you know, <laughs> I'm like, oh. so I guess as a keyboard player, I would have to pick in the cage, but then again, that whole little swing there from, you know, Lamise down on Broadway to Broadway melody is one of my favorite things of all time. So yeah.
0: It's incredible bass in this. Um, Steve Hackett's work is great, and and I think for me in the cage, just my favorite from side one, but my favorite from the entire album. I love the way that it just builds in intensity, and it and builds and builds and builds, and that it it just gets really intense as it goes along. And I don't know what the lyrics mean, but it's really cool. <laughs>
1: The summary of the whole album, <laughs> yeah.
2: I think you're right, yeah. I
1: agree.
0: Uh, anything uh, stick out for you on fly on a windshield for me? It's uh, it's got to be that heavy sound. It's it's a sound uh, I think this is maybe the heaviest Genesis ever got back then with that lineup, yeah.
1: I mean, um, you know, it's reprised kind of with uh, Lily White Lilith, but uh, yeah, it's pretty heavy. I mean, um. I love the, I mean, it was fun playing that. Uh, I realized when we did the lamb in 94 celebrating the 20th anniversary of it then, and I used all the keyboards I had, you know, between Kevin Gilbert and I, we had the keyboards, So I had Kevin's Novatron and I used my ARPS and and we used Keith Emerson's Hammond B3, which isn't even C3. It's not the right organ, but, but it was an amazing organ and I, and I had, you know, an RMI and stuff. And, um, the way you play that, there's no MIDI. So like you don't, you know, MIDI is a a protocol where you can connect one keyboard to another keyboard digitally and play more more than one sound from one keyboard. Mm -hmm. Tony does that now. But back then, each instrument, that's why you had a stack of keyboards around you. Like I have, you know, you can see a little bit here. Uh, But then you really had to. So you had a Mellotron that did the Mellotron sound. You had the RMI, like the ones you mentioned. So to play that, song you had the rmi going through a phase 100 and the and you had to play the chords together at the same time mm-hmm. da,
2: da, 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 da,
1: da. totally fun and also each one has a pedal a volume pedal so you can kind of mix yourself and by the way that's kind of partially how i got the nickname squids because hands and feet <laughs> it's like tentacles like a like a octopus or a squid so uh I, but i really had to to do it like Tony did, I mean, have to, I could have used MIDI keyboards, but I'm like, if I'm going to do the lamp, I might as well bring out the, you know, it's why I collect this stuff. It's like, this is a chance to use it.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and it was great. But uh, so that, and, and you know, the other thing I like about Genesis is even if let's say some of the songs, instrumental bits came from jams, they were very, they were into composing the instrumental sections more than other bands that left it just like as a jam. And I like improv and I like jams, but there is a sort of reward for taking the time, taking the time to Mm -hmm. compose and refine it and be like, okay, this is, you know, and then that this way, it's kind of like, there's certain lines that you know, you're going to hear live and certain chord progressions that are like, well, that's the song. With Genesis, that's the song. With other bands like King Crimson, it could change or whatever, but, but with them, it was like, no, no, we've arrived at the melody. First to fifth is almost always like that. Maybe there's a little bit of section in the guitar solo to change a little but you know. So same thing with that. Um, that said, when we did the tribute, this new tribute, well, I think when we did the original Lamb in 94, I think Dan played note for note, more or less. On the new one, I had Dan play it, note for note. And then I had Francis Dunnery, who's not a note for note kind of guy. He's more adventurous. Not that Dan isn't, if I told him, but but he basically refused to play it note to note, note for note. And he just did his own crazy version. And it does work because Francis is brilliant. And he just kind of gets Genesis in a way that very few people do, vocally, everything else. So but then he adds his own little flavor. And probably Steve Hackett, I think. Uh, these days when he does it he's the guy so he knows what to do to be like the original and then what where to go off a little bit and do mm. something new with it uh, but either way I agree with you man and that is a very powerful song you get that quiet creeping up hovering like a fly and then all of a sudden boom! Bam.
2: and I'm hovering like a fly waiting for the windshield on the freeway
1: That, that moment. And there's another thing I like. I'm very I like the obvious stuff, which is that moment, which like every Genesis fan, you know, if you're watching that I mean, almost every and you hear that and you're like, that's just a, a payoff of like, oh, that's epic. But one of the esoteric things I like about that is this drum fill where, where Phil goes bum, 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 like that. And whenever that happens, you know, and I actually like when we were playing it back with Nick back in the day, and you didn't do that,
0: I'm like, oh no no no, you, you got to do that.
2: And <laughs> <It jumped out laughs> like, oh okay,
0: <laughs> that's great. I find that people that aren't into the the older progier Genesis that just kind of came forward with the hits in the in the 80s, they struggle with songs like the Grand Parade of Lifeless Packaging. What is it about that song that? really kind of sticks out for you as a, as a musician
1: well i mean it starts it's like down the rabbit hole you know like even myself i i learned my first genesis album was duke and then i got abacab and three sides live and then mm-hmm. i went backwards from there and i'm like oh and then number three kind of has a little bit of it and then i go oh wait a minute this is starting to change and then i had seconds out and that's where i learned the gabriel era songs first with phil singing them then when I heard like I loved Supper's Ready on, on Seconds Out, and when I heard the original version, I was shocked at first. I was like, why is he singing it like that? I'm really <laughs> so far from I'm like, yeah, it's sung like so different on Seconds Out. But then once you just, you know, like it's an acquired taste, once you really understand Peter Gabriel era genesis, if you want to call it that, and his approach to it, then it's just like, yeah, he's weird. He's weirder than Phil. <laughs> But that's one of the things that was the novelty about the band. He wore fox heads and dresses and it was a whole other thing. So that may or that's a big pill to swallow. If you're into the hits, it may not be something that's just, you jump right into. And, but like probably the more uh, the songs that they've played with Phil are a little bit more, uh, not accessible per se, but a little bit more like um, likely for fans of the later eras to like and to understand and be familiar with grand parade is is like a a deep cut on an on a album with weird gabriel stuff and it's a weird song um i love it i think it's um another one of those songs that just killer drums that builds up and
2: then
1: Uh, you know and it's just in context of the album one of the cool things about genesis back then is when they took you on a journey they and they were very influenced by the Beatles. So, like things like, let's say, uh, I am the Walrus, you know, where you had all these beautiful songs, Eleanor Rigby, and then all of a sudden you had just that wackiness, you know, yeah. tomorrow never knows or whatever. And you had, or, or Revolution number nine, you know, that's waiting room inspiration, I'm sure, you know, but so that's so you had these songs that kind of willow farm, you know, they're like, you had all these beautiful, lush things, and then you got this moment of just chaotic wackiness and it kind of it was a cool thing in the same way that it was for Beatles albums but even sort of taking it to another level with uh, with Genesis where you had this dichotomy of this wacky moment of craziness and then it goes to something really beautiful but then again like movies like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory had that kind of thing and certain probably Alice in Wonderland and you know where you just had total abstract weirdness and then it takes you to some it, just in context i think it works really well
2: mm-hmm.
1: and grand parade of lifeless packaging i've always thought actually thought of doing a song like that for kevin gilbert's shaming of the true i wrote a song i never released it and i played it for kevin and he was like no, no, no. But yeah. i don't know but i thought it was kind of cool like this idea of packaging albums as like, you know, you're just a product and you're an artist and you're just a product to us. Or the grand like mindless packaging of just doesn't matter what it is. We just dress it up and put it up out there. So I always like that song in that concept of thinking of like consumerism and all this stuff or whatever. But once again, I don't really know what Gabriel meant or what it means in the context <laughs> or whatever per se. I just kind of get this vibe of like, it's going, it's part of the journey, you know, a little wacky moment of, of, you know, Oompa Loompas or something, right? You know, yeah. know it like.
0: <laughs> And you know, it has some of that, it has some of that British humor in it too, that, um, you know, is unique and, and that flavors earlier songs like get them out by Friday and um, things like that. So it's, it's a band that was really good at putting together a track list because they, if you were feeling a little bit, ambivalent at the end of the grand parade of lifeless packaging you flip that record over and they crush you with back in New York City. I see faces and traces of all
1: another aggressive one yeah that's maybe as aggressive if not more aggressive than uh flying a windshield actually
0: yeah it's a it's another it's another rocker and then they kind of go a little bit all over the place on side two they go into hairless heart which is a a, a, you know a softer number uh, you know where i think hackett really kind of shines um and counting out time which is a, a again back to the humor that they're that they do so well. And then the carpet crawlers, which again is a slower kind of a, almost um, kind of hard to explain that one, but it's, 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 it's slow. Valid. Yeah. It's a weird ballad. It is a weird ballad. Yeah. And then uh, the chamber of 32 doors, which is, is interesting and very melodic in the verses. I really like the verses to that one. Do you have a favorite on, on side two? I know you say you don't pick favorites, but
1: I mean, it may be a tie between back in New York city and carpet crawlers i not the least my least favorite song on the whole album is probably counting out time mm-hmm. it's a little too goofy uh gonna take a look it's just kind of like <laughs> i get it but it's just sort of hokey and it's meant to be but yeah and it's okay i mean it's still great you know it's, yeah. uh, it's zip totally a zip funny. whippy <laughs> yeah it's just, it's just out there and sometimes <laughs> it's a little too much for me so like that is a sort of like, but but then you know, it could be like a British humor thing and I'm not British or I don't know. Um, but I mean I, I get the humor of it. I just think mm-hmm. it's just kind of
2: yeah,
1: it's okay. I mean, yeah. we didn't play it when we played it live. Kevin hated that song. I don't hate it. But uh <laughs> you know, and, and I like the guitar solo. That's with the inussification, I guess, too. Yeah, or he used a if not, he used the high Highfly, that's what it was. Uh Steve, yeah. You know, but uh, Hairless Heart is cool that, um, you know, backwards guitar sounding uh, volume pedal stuff that he did. We got mm-hmm. Steve Rothery to play our version of it, which was cool. And I think, oh, nice. um, you know, Back in New York City is a killer tune and Carpet Crawlers. I mean, that, Carpet Crawlers, I love that they've been doing Carpet Crawlers. It, on the last tour maybe even hopefully again i i don't get tired of that song um you know it's, it's such a beautiful song and um and it kind of you know I, I you know one of the most underrated things i think from genesis is when they did a new version in 1999 of that song yeah which i like and mm-hmm. it was weirdly done with trevor horn and not and not all being whatever but still this everyone had been saying like we want to you know hear them reunite and do something it's like well that's about that's as close as they got yeah. you know at least as far as something i mean more or less you know i mean just the fact that gabriel's singing genesis again with them and mm-hmm. that it's got gabriel and phil singing that's underrated to me and i like that version so yeah
0: so the Carpet Crawlers 1999 is the the, the version you're mentioned. It was it was put together for Turn It On Again, the hits compilation, and it's the last studio recording of any Genesis configuration to date. Is it really? Holy yeah.
1: Cap. Well, that's kind of
0: cool in a way. Yeah, it's absolutely cool. It, Carpet Crawlers and Counting Out Time were both singles <laughs> in Europe. Counting Out Times had uh, Counting Out Time had writing the Scree as the B side. It reached number 53 in the UK, number 45 in Belgium, and number 64 in France. The carpet Crawlers went to 54 in the UK. And the B-side was a live version of The Waiting Room and in, in parentheses, Evil Jam. Damn, uh, on the Charisma 7-inch. The, uh, the remake in 99 had Gabriel and Collins share the vocals and the B-side, that I think was a CD single, the B-sides were Turn It On Again and Follow You, Follow Me so
1: these compilations like the new one too you know i see some people complaining on oh, genesis fans complaining oh we don't need another best best i am like i know but like the thing is is that there you got to remember it's not just for us there's different generations and new fans and so one of the cool things about it at least i mean i i would actually complain i'm not a complainer but like <laughs> i would complain if they only had the more recent recent still 20 something years ago uh hits and didn't have any of the old stuff then i'd be like oh come on you can't yeah. ignore the legacy of this band it's so diverse but they didn't they have like select it's an odd selection but they've got you know stuff from the gabriel era some from you know 70s with phil and different things and so just the idea that they're doing a tour and you know even the drummer who's simon's younger brother nick collins and he's in his teens so people, kids his age, probably just discovering it. And the fact that they're going to listen to Dance on a Volcano, or whatever's on there, and go, oh, my God, what's this? And discover the back catalog is kind of, to me, it's like, well, that's what that's about. And it's also about merch, and it's also about making money and or recouping money, and that's totally fine, too. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, some people, you can't please everybody, especially these days. <laughs> Everyone's got a problem with something. Yeah. So turn it on again, the hits – was also like that and they did the turn it on again tour although i guess that was a little later but either way it was kind of like you know around that around that well probably seven year span or eight year span but anyway you know they did it around then and now they're doing it again but it had this extra bonus track which to me i would have loved another bonus track on the new (laughs) one like that i mean especially with them reuniting of course but some people were complaining about that because I don't want to buy a CD just for one song. You know, like, you know, so this is like, you don't have to buy it. There's not one song for you to buy. Personally, I don't mind buying a CD for that song. I'll buy the CD 10 bucks, 15 bucks. I'll buy it. No problem. Give me a song with Gabriel and Phil on it. I'll pay 10 times the price.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, not less than extortionate prices. Exactly. yeah, the thing is that when people say, "Oh, we don't need another compilation," what they really mean is, "I'm a completist and I buy everything, and now I got to go buy a thing, and I'm not getting any new music." That's out. their problem. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's their problem. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I, I do it. I, I, bought the "Turn It On Again" the hits. I bought the "Turn It On Again" the hits tour edition at the show in 2007, and I bought the "14 uh, Was It 14 of Our Best" from Starbucks. I, I don't. I don't drink coffee. I went to a Starbucks just to get this thing. There you go. So uh,
1: I'm probably not going to buy this new compilation, although it makes a good present on vinyl. And yeah. the thing is a friend of mine named Alejandro is a huge Genesis fan. And it was my birthday recently. And he was out of town at the time and he just gave me his present. And you know what it was? One of the what's, presents. What's that? Duke, the white vinyl. I have that. It's That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah that's totally cool i don't have a very good vinyl collection but i've got a few things and that's like special i love Duke, Mm -hmm. um but uh but yeah i mean at this point all of those songs can be streamed through streaming services anyway so it's more like of a novelty to own the cd or the vinyl and it's just Mm -hmm. something to buy like a t-shirt or whatever like you said you collect everything and so i mean but you know at the same time i I get it i you know personally i would like if there was something new like a little twist you know some people were saying hey it says new stereo mixes and i verified that there's no new new stereo mixes they were just called that sometimes Mm -hmm. uh so there's nothing you know as far as i know there's no nothing new uh it's a compilation i could be wrong but so the
0: new mixes could be just you know it's what they called them when nick davis redid them for the for the box sets
1: yeah that's probably what they are, yeah. like
0: 99%. Yeah. So, I mean, but that, yeah, you're right. I mean, I probably will get it just, just to have the title because I haven't used I am a bit of a complete. And they're my favorite band. So, of course. Yes. And, and why
2: not, and why not get it? Involved?
0: And I only have Duke on vinyl because I just started, you know, getting back into vinyl earlier this year for the first time in many years. Are you, so, so you're going
1: to get the new one on vinyl?
0: Yeah. So I'll get the new one on vinyl.
1: Good for you. I might too.
0: It's good good to throw on there and listen to anyway. Why not? Carpet Crawlers uh, obviously is a standout track on on side two and probably my favorite on, on side two, although I have a really soft spot for Hairless Heart. I think that's really underrated. Side three kicks off again, another kind of rocker with Lily White Lilith as, uh, you know, Chamber of 32 Doors kind of quietly fades out at the end. And then, boom, you you put on second record and they're in your face again, these guys.
1: Yeah, that's their version of the who. (laughs)
0: Yeah, sure. And then the weirdness starts. Oh, yeah. The waiting room. I have to admit the first half of the song doesn't do a lot for me, even, even today, but I love the back half of this song.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the first half, like I said, is their version of like a revolution number nine, you know, possibly filler what some could say, but you know, I, I think it's cool. And in context, it makes sense. And it really kind of sets the tone for, you're now going deep into the rabbit hole at this point. Like, you know, the first two sides were like, you know, songs that you could really kind of, you know, mostly, except for like the segue songs, like, um, you mm-hmm. know, instrumental bits and stuff, um, Hairless Heart and, and things. But But this is like, all right, we're getting into the story here. We're getting into the atmosphere. And then of course, like you said, in the second half, they come in with a little, probably was an Im- improvised jam, a little more loose than normal, the evil jam or whatever. And it was cool because when it was live, it was different every time too. It was one of the few moments where they had like a Grateful Dead space jam, you know, <laughs> anything could happen. And, and with Genesis, as great as they are, is kind of, they're just, they're one of my fa- all-time favorite bands. And it's kind of like, you know, as awesome as it is what I said earlier about, probably mostly to do with tony banks and the and his strictness of like you know is his standard that he had back then of like wanting to perfect it and, and re- revise compositions and get things to be like you know more so than almost any other keyboard playing songwriter that i knew from that, that i know of from that time where he would be like no no like it's composed that was like a moment where he was like, all right, fine, we'll, we'll let loose not, not <laughs> yeah. that it was to him, but they all decided whatever, whoever decided these things. And then when you hear that, you're like, I think like, it's like, oh, they should have done more of that too, though. You know, because it's like, they're awesome doing that, especially Phil. I mean, that guy, oh, Phil Collins, just brilliant on a level. That's just, yes, he had this huge pop success, but as a drummer and the musicality of, the way he thought about what he did is just its own thing and there's no no one else compares other people were great in their own right (laughs) like bruford you know neil peart and other people but but phil did his thing and when they allowed him to just kind of do his thing like even with brand x he kind of had more room to do that kind of stuff but brand x didn't have the melodic elements that genesis had so even in a jam but like that jam, when that starts to come in, you're like, da, 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 da. it was just, yeah, it's awesome. And the kind of thing you're like, all right, give me a 20 minute jam of this live. <laughs>
2: It just yeah. goes
0: to show you that Tony, when he let his hair down, it was, it was, those moments were great. And, you know, he's, he's very proper English, very kind of stodgy almost. And, and um, he is who he is. That's great. But uh, yeah, whenever he let his hair down, that was, uh, that was pretty awesome too. So you go from the waiting room to anyway, which, you know, it's just a short a couple of short pieces anyway. And here comes the supernatural anesthetist, which is, Uh, a real mouthful (laughs) you don't see titles like that very often then the Lamia, you talked about that earlier and Silent Sorrow and Empty Boats and the Lamia really here on side three is the centerpiece
2: yeah (laughs) three vermilion snakes female. Motion filled with grace, muted melodies fill the echoing hall. But there is no sign of warning in the sirens call. Rail welcome. We are the lamia of the moon.
1: And all those other pieces are just gorgeous you know silent sorrow is just one of the most beautiful uses of mellotron choir i've ever heard Mm -hmm. and mm, 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 mm. i love that song and i love all of it anyway it's great as well and yeah like side three and four has some of the more deep cut obscure tracks And But that's really where you get more of a feeling of the journey in a picaresque cinematic way, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: especially because you have those instrumental interludes and and then you've got these songs that kind of are a little, no, the other songs are descriptive, but like the carpet crawlers, not even sure what carpet crawlers really are exactly. Mm -hmm. But like you start to hear a bit more about Rail and the Lamia, you know, and, and that whole thing, and then eventually, you know, side four, all the stuff that happens there, even if I don't fully understand that either. But there's just it's more descriptive of the journey and of rail, what he's going through and stuff, um, from on side three and side four.
0: Yeah, doesn't seem to be in New York City anymore. Here, no. um, I really love lyrically some of the stuff on side three a lot. I, I love the just the term, silent sorrow in empty boats. I like the uh, uh, what is the, the line from Anyway, where Peter sings uh, something about, she come, they say she comes in on a pale horse, but I'm sure I hear a train. Just really cool lyrically. Not everybody's
2: gone. Anyway, they say she comes on a pale horse.
1: Now, that's the thing, by the way, about them, too, with Gabriel in general and, and that album. There's little gems and I like little gems. You're like, I don't know exactly what he's talking about. I don't need to know. But I like this, the way it just kind of conjures up things, just the line even out of the song context, mm-hmm. it's been real beauts. And, and by the way, I forgot to mention, this is kind of a big thing. I mean, not really, but just in terms <laughs> of interpretation. As I was listening to all these Genesis tracks recently, including The Lamb. And sort of just giving a different perspective on it, you know, besides just the keyboards and thinking about that stuff. I just sort of listening to it and thinking like, oh, well, because I watched uh, somebody had done a, a, a animation, you know, their own
0: animation. Right. Yeah.
2: That you know, came out recently.
1: Effort. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I w- don't, I wouldn't visualize the things, a lot of the things that were there as what I would do, but, but just the fact that someone was so passionate to do that and it sort of, and it has the lyrics as well. So it's kind of fun. It's a fun ride. Uh, and that's on YouTube, and then I was just sort of, and I was watching, I was thinking about it, it at least the, the title track, I was thinking, like, and again, I'm not, like, a super fan that has read all the interviews and knows all, the other fans are like, well, Peter Gabriel said himself that, you know, it's, it's not about a- that, Dave, <laughs> well, whatever, but uh, that, I wonder if, like, in some ways, is kind of like, it's sort of like um, The Wizard of Oz, where Dorothy's knocked out and possibly imagines this whole crazy world, right? right? So he's sort of like this, you know, punk aerosol kid, you know, gangster and does drugs or is drunk and like passes the lamblights down on Broadway. Like mm-hmm. he's passed out in the street and has this crazy dream. And in a way, that sort of justifies all the wackiness like anything could happen, you know, nightmares or dreams, you know, they can be, anything can happen. So sort of like, yeah, I sort of pictured it maybe in the context of like, this dude is just kind of like having an acid trip, you know, or, or, or super drunk and passed out on Broadway and he's the lamb. (laughs) And then he sort of has all this metaphor and everything. And I wouldn't even be surprised if they were like on tour and Gabriel was wasted one night and he just sort of like curled up like a little lamb. And he's like, Hey, wait a minute. I got an idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I think as an artist, you, you are well aware that once you put your work out in the world, it's not yours anymore. It's, it's really up to the listener to figure out what it means to them. And, and like I've interviewed people who, they don't even want to tell you what they were thinking about when they wrote the song because they it's, that's not important to them. They, they are more interested in what the, you know, the listener thinks about it. So.
1: I like both. I like to know what the songwriter was thinking and I can still separate my own interpretation, but I respect that as
0: well. I do too. When I'm interviewing them, I'm like, no, I really want to know what the song's about. No, really, please tell me. You
1: (laughs) You want to know even more when they won't tell you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and then you wonder, is it, is it just loud? I don't know it just sounded good. So I wrote it, you know, (laughs) but here's uh, something funny though. When we did, I'll just
1: interlude this because it's all (laughs) the related stuff. So when we played the lamb at Prague Fest in 94 and the audience loved it and we were like a last minute edition and we had only like a week to learn it. It was insane. It's probably the hardest gig I'd done maybe ever and learning the land. I mean, you think you know it, but then you have to sit there. I don't play in a tribute band, so I had to learn it. You know, they helped me. Kevin and Stan helped me. Anyway, after we were done, you know, the crowd went nuts and it was just such, it was an epic experience. It was, it was amazing. And then I walked off stage and the security guard said, oh my God, I love it. Where can I get your album? <laughs> 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 our album. You need to look in the dentist section. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it, well, it's funny because I think, for a while this that that giraffe set was like a really sought after bootleg but then um it got like a a, a kevin gilbert estate release
1: yeah it's because i had suggested it
0: what happened was
1: uh i was talking to john rubin who was our manager when i played with kevin i played in his band thud and uh, he manages the estate and you know he knows that i i know genesis and we were talking about you know getting the rights and this now and and i'm like well I don't think it'd be that easy to get the sync rights for the video because that you have to negotiate. But the music, you know, you can really just release it and pay the mechanical royalties. Anybody can do a cover in audio. It's the video that's the problem. So mm-hmm. they did.
2: Yeah. Well, and I have a
1: copy of it.
0: It's great. The um you mentioned YouTube earlier, the the, the with the animated thing. That's and, and you also talked about the these older songs reaching a new generation. And I think one of the best things about YouTube. Are these uh, reaction videos? I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with them, where somebody <laughs> listens to that "In the Air Tonight" by Phil Collins for the first time, and that drum fill comes in, and and they're just like, "Whoa!" <laughs> you know, just just seeing their reaction is pretty cool. So, it is reaching a whole new a uh, whole new audience, and um, you know, YouTube has been responsible for a lot of that. So that's pretty cool. I, sometimes I wonder how authentic some of those reaction videos are but uh i
1: don't really watch those i tried (laughs) to watch one with some classical guy listening to supper's ready and i just didn't get past the intro i was just kind of like i don't need to see this whatever he goes you know but uh i mean it's kind of funny so i've seen somewhere you know you see even like someone from a completely different genre checking out like a rapper listening to genesis something like that or a, bit a sophisticated let's say hip-hop artist who appreciates musicianship and stuff and going mm-hmm. damn you know so i mean it's in general let's just say i love the fact that new people are constantly being turned on to you know such great music mm-hmm. that said you know, it's a double-edged sword because YouTube is partially responsible for the demise of the music industry because people just expect to just hear stuff for free and see stuff yeah. for free. So mm. it's bittersweet for me in that sense. But overall, in terms of, let's say, music appreciation, uh, you know, that's the benefit.
0: Mm-hmm. So side four uh, starts off with the colony of slipper men. And I, again, I'm not big on the first part of it, the arrival, but once you get into a visit to the doctor and the Raven, boy, that song just kicks in and, and really smacks you in the face a little bit.
1: Yeah. The arrival is a little bit sort of just like
0: weirdness and strange sounds, around,
1: you know, fixing <laughs> your instruments, um, <laughs> but it's cool. Um, But then once, uh, once they get into Bobbity Bob business, uh, you know, that song, by the way, it's very hard to play, and um, uh, there's what what Tony's doing there in certain parts of it is he's playing two arpeggios at the same time, one of them is doing four notes and the other one is doing three notes. And uh, I think it's
2: a. Du-du-du-du-du-du-du-du-du-du-du-du-du. Your sentence is only just begun. You better run and join your brother John. You're in the
1: when we played it kevin was like kevin was an amazing musician he could play all the instruments and everything but he couldn't play that uh, mm. and he's like how can you play it why 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 how are you able to count that and i said i'm not counting that's i'm able to play it cuz i know what it's supposed to sound like and feel like
2: mm-hmm. and
1: that's sort of i mean cuz if you really were to count it it's like i don't know if it's two time signatures at the same time I don't, I don't know enough theory to be able to describe it yeah but it's weird and the other thing is he's playing notes throughout the whole song and when i played it i realized i had an itch on my nose these are the kinds of things you don't think about so you're some like prog where you've got the hands on both and you're like i'm like what do i do if i have an itch on my nose so there's actually a mistake in the keyboard solo on the art because i went and i just got like just tried to and like and there's one note and i'm like damn it and, you know something like that But anyway, that song is very proggy, actually, because of that. There's a lot of uh, great playing, and um, you know, killer drums with the ghost notes and stuff, and uh, you know, quirky arp solo. uh, But that he's made iconic, even in 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 the cage solo. And then you know, so this this you haven't gotten to to writing the scree yet, though. Not yet.
0: Not yet. But yeah, P- and Peter does some different characters here. He sings in different voices. And and of course, that was the thing where he kind of drove his bandmates a little bit nuts uh, in the live shows because he couldn't get the microphone near his mouth. And like,
1: You know, actually, I'll tell you something funny. Again, sorry to make this about us, you know, but it's just kind of like it just so happens that I have this history of a taste of what it would be like and so one of the i mean it must have been something like this i would imagine i had never asked them i should ask them or maybe they said in an interview i think they did what it must have been like to see gabriel in that costume for the first time and if they really knew like that you saw him like messing around with balloons or something and what's that or if he just popped in so this is what kevin did we were rehearsing it and he didn't tell us he was doing that and we were in the middle of playing it and then he comes over and he's like he has the slipper man face and a few other things and it was so hard to play and not laugh <laughs> i was like oh my god like he really pulled one on us and then it made me think you know gabriel must have been like a combination of hilarious and probably frustrating and and just like like eye rolling. And then, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it depends on the personality. If I was in the band, I'd probably be cracking up. Like you're nuts, dude. I imagine Imagine Tony Tony was
0: was the one who, when he comes out with a, with a fox head or a box on his head or whatever, bat wings, he's like, we're a rock band. What are you doing?
1: (laughs) Well, or I think Tony for all the, and and in all fairness too, for the effort that he put in, especially in composition and everything else that made the band, Really, more than just a novelty, it was a musical, you know, brilliant thing going on mm-hmm. that people would only talk about the Foxhead gimmick and not about the music and things like that. And that's a fair point, yeah. Uh, but I think, and, and they all said, sort of like by the time he had done the Slipper Man, it was like more costume than practical in terms of singing, yeah. But at the same time, as a fan, brilliant. I would love to have seen even a video of the lamb let alone actually so I, you, know, so you talk to people who have, have been there and saw it and to see that whole thing and then see that and also this thing that was twirling around I don't know what song that was but it sounds like an incredible show and that that to me was like it's just a fun aspect of Genesis this kind of theatrical thing and it was no one else has done anything like that especially the Slipperman.
0: Yeah you see these little tiny clips of grainy film from some of those shows but there's that's the shame of it that there's there's not a complete professionally filmed lamb show yeah and then you know all the talk about uh, the reunion in 2000 prior to 2007's tour was why don't we get together to do the lamb like we never got to you know properly do it and film it and then uh peter couldn't do it and then Steve was out, and then it was just the trio again. So it's it, it is frustrating, but I'll keep going. I'm going to see them, uh, you know, on this next tour in December. I had to I have to fly up north because they're not coming down here. But yeah, do too. what you do. You got to do what you got to do. So Ravine is next, and then uh, we go to the light. The light dies down on Broadway. A little bit of a reprise to some extent. Riding the Scree in the Rapids, and it. And this is where I just completely f- stop even trying to follow any semblance of the story
1: yeah <laughs> yeah it does not if, if anything actually interestingly I love it I love all the songs
2: this is all-
1: It is a very strange way to wrap the whole album especially like with that whole it's only knocking know all and I like what like, that almost sounds like they didn't finish it and he's like well whatever it's rock and roll know all. you know <laughs> yeah. i it, it's like i mean i wonder i don't even want to know though to me it's just like okay and then the way they ended it live was terrible because it's supposed to fade out and the fade out's nice on the album, mm-hmm. but then they did this kind of like Vegasy thing from the recordings of it, like yeah, that's the ending. The like, king, this is a band that had the best endings ever, you know. Uh these big, you know, like classical endings, and they ended it with this weirdness. But uh, so when we did it actually, we did something else that they did, which uh later on, which is segue into Watcher of the Skies because it has the same chords more or less as the intro of watch of the skies. And so on three sides live, the fourth side, which was released in, in the UK, I guess, or, you know, elsewhere, Europe, but not in the United States where they had the studio tracks. That's why it was called three sides live. Yeah. But, uh, but that had it's beautiful version. I love that version of it slash watch of the skies with Bill Bruford on drums who killed it. Yeah. And, um, and that, that segue where the audience is discovering that it's watcher of the skies that was my suggestion to giraffe with kevin i was like we got to do that and it's a better ending than their ending anyway it's like you you think it's over and like wait a minute are they doing they are they are doing oh my god <laughs> and every it was just a great genesis kind of like thing to do where like you do a medley and, and you go into a song you weren't expecting to hear yeah. but yeah. but getting back to what you're saying i i, I agree i mean it's kind of like look you just I think you take it with a grain of salt to me like it's like it's Genesis and it's Gabriel weirdness and it's okay it's just an epic album beautiful songs a story that you can make your own sort of interpretation of and you probably aren't going to be close to what he really was thinking but that's okay you know and you just kind of there's something with uh, you know in the rapids with with uh, and writing the scree with the brother John thing, and he keeps crying out for help, and it, maybe it was really him all this time, and there's some metaphor there, whatever that you could take from it. But either way, the music is great. the The keyboard solo for writing the scree is incredible. Yeah, you know, really cool, and the drums and everything, and and you know, those ballads are are, are a little bit slow. They're a little slow, actually it's a little draggy act in some ways you could say because they kind of almost like they ran out of steam a little bit by that point you yeah. know the, the first two sides are like intense and now they're kind of like as the one it's like wow all right you know but i love it anyway it's just you have to kind of be maybe in in the mood but like it, it's it's almost like and I, I i don't know if this is true but you probably don't listen to side three and four if you weren't just doing the whole album experience. Whereas you could listen to in the cage or you know yeah. side one on its own or side two, one side one and two maybe without the whole thing. But three and four, like you know, I don't know if anyone just goes in to listen to three and then the out. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs>
2: four, good point. You know, it's yeah, you,
0: know. you bring up a good point because even when I used to do my radio show, I would. Sometimes I would do tracks from the album, and it never felt right to hear it a song out of context. Like you, you didn't have the the preliminary song that led led into it. You didn't have the next song that you know that it led into, and it it always felt a little weird that way. It always felt more cohesive when you listened to it start to finish. So, um, so I hear what you're saying. One of the things I love about side four, though, other than um, Colony of Slippermen, is. I like in the rapids a lot, and it's there's not much to it, but I just feel like Peter gets really um, emotive in his vocals on that one. My fire is burning
2: low. i shoot the ram, it's fast And when the waters slow down... yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean for me he does throughout the album great vocal performance some of the best peter gabriel vocals ever maybe Mm -hmm. so much variety and so much you know so many different timbres and his gravelly sound and his kind of soulful sound and and uh and a little more yeah kind of like mature in that not that it was immature before but he was sort of well he's an interesting artist because he's always kind of evolved and done different things that you don't expect and and uh very creative uh, vocally and lyrically and stuff so but it seemed like that album actually sort of created a bit of a template for Phil, in a way, because like some of the edginess of his vocal and certain soulful things. Whereas before that, I mean it depends, but like some of the stuff was like, let's say Battle of Epping Forest, whatever. That was that was maybe a template for fish. It sounds like Fish from Marillion got yeah. a lot of ideas and inspiration from that. But like Phil, you know, carpet crawlers and the lamb and in the cage. You know, anytime he kind of got aggressive with later Genesis, it seemed to be that uh, all of it's cinema show and stuff is ready. But but, and he sang with Peter, too. So it's it wasn't like it was completely like, but he just I don't know, for some reason, the lamb kind of reached. A There's a lot of vocal stylings on the lamb that did carry forward with both Peter Gabriel and his solo stuff and also like Moribund, the Burgermeister, and some of those kind of songs, and then with Phil um, on various tracks.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so we've come to the end of our, our songs. We're, we're the, the, the needle hits the run-out groove here. and now it was important that we did this in real
1: time so the interview is as long as the album. Yeah. You can listen to the album while we're talking, and it yeah. ends. Just like yeah. Wizard of Oz. If you play Wizard of Oz also, it'll end right now.
0: <laughs> it's, a dir- it's a director's commentary, right?
2: <laughs> so
0: how often do you listen to this album? You, you, you must listen to it at least once a year.
1: Oh, no. Are you kidding? Once a month, probably, at least. Okay, I, I never get tired of Genesis, old Genesis. Uh, my favorite era is from Trespass to Abacab. Uh, Not that I like, I like everything on those albums. And then after mm-hmm. that, it's Hit and Miss. Uh, I still do like albums up to you know even the last one, but um, yeah. uh, but but yeah. So I'll put up on any of those albums, and like I said, recently I've been listening to it a lot, um, just to kind of re-familiarize myself and listen to it differently. But uh, yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know if I listen to it once a month, but you know, I don't, I don't. It's not like a I'm not a regular like okay I'm gonna you know do anything habitually or whatever, but. If I'm in the mood, I'll put it on without hesitation. And especially, you know, here in the studio, I do everything. I do the wiring and I do the unfun stuff. I do the fun stuff, (laughs) like music and do mixing and all that. But then I go behind these things and do the wiring and all that stuff. And I'll put on an album or two,
0: you know, while I'm doing it. So I imagine this is one that you, you listen to it either all the way through or from beginning to however long it takes you to do whatever task you're doing.
1: If you're driving, yeah, you know, but I could also just leave it on and then just dip in and out or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's the and it's is rare, but like nice when you just have time to just sit and listen. And at that point, if you really have the setup, I cannot recommend highly enough a surround sound system of any kind of any level, no. even just having the speakers positioned and putting on the box set versions, then you're really immersed in the album and that's Mm -hmm. incredible and i haven't had enough time to just sit and do that but i'm i have the setup to do that and and um you know so that's the kind of thing i would do and will do when i kind of get caught up on some of the mixing work i have to do and some things but but yeah i mean in the car on your earphones if you're working out i mean you know Mm -hmm. this is the kind of stuff that just to me it never gets old
2: yeah
0: this is the uh, the version with the 5.1 so nice. I, I can, can vouch for the 5.1 surround version. It's really good. So I'm really looking forward to your version when it comes out. So you say it's going to probably be out this year?
1: Yeah. You know, I'll tell you a little secret. This I don't think I've told this. So I might as well tell it. If I was ever going to tell it, it's when we're talking about the Lamb. So I'm really into, like, adding something extra when we do these tributes. We did a tribute to Yes. We did a tribute to Rush. And Genesis is one of my favorite bands. So we're going all out. And there's there are some surprises. Well, I'm going to ruin the surprise, but there's some <laughs> bonus tracks and stuff. One of the surprises I already ruined, which is I'm going to do some original songs, which are songs I've already released of mine, either with Sound of Contact or in Continuum or my solo stuff. And uh, But replace the keyboards with Tony's keys just for fun. And I'll pick songs that were kind of heavily influenced by Genesis or even had Steve Hackett already as a guest and I'll just go for it as a novelty. It's just for fun. Just to be like, all right, this is what it would sound like if it was the full on, you know, really the, you know, all of Tony's keys, actual keys. Uh But the other thing, and this, this no one knows, I haven't said it until now, but it's just kind of a fun thing to do might as well is there, there were these tapes circulating around that you can hear on YouTube actually of outtakes from the lamb of them jamming and stuff. But unfortunately, it sounds like a tape that has been like put in the washing machine. And it is just muffled or whatever, but you can hear it.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: Martin Levac and I, and I think uh, Matt Dorsey and, and a few other people from Sound of Contact and from, we redid some of the jams, some of the outtakes. And Steve might even play on those as well, Steve. So like there's bonus tracks that are almost like never heard outtakes that we'll never hear because they weren't recorded well enough, at least as far as I know. So there's even some some bonus tracks that are like songs that might have been on the lamp from yeah. them.
0: Awesome. That sounds good. Uh, it sounds like a lot of fun and I hope uh hope it comes out fairly soon cuz I uh, now I'm now I'm interested in hearing it so <laughs> you got my got me my interest peaked. Dave, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Well, most of the albums that I produce uh, and the tribute albums, as well as my solo albums and in continuum albums, any much of Vega are on Sonicelements.bandcamp.com. I love Bandcamp. It's called Sonic elements. It's kind of like my label out of Sonic reality. It's the music label.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and uh, but, you know, you can find some of it on iTunes and Amazon and some of it on even a little bit of it on, on streaming services,
2: mm-hmm.
1: even though I'm not a big fan and you can see it on youtube if you go to youtube.com slash dave kersner you see some there if you go to in continuum band you can see that sound of contact is through inside out records so you could just search sound of contact it's only one album dimension Mm -hmm. with simon collins and uh, arc of life is on frontiers so you could seek that out i need to do like a updated discography so that people can kind of if they're really interested it's just I don't spend a lot of time on that but i need to think about that but like i'm a one man like i just kind of uh everything's kind of homegrown uh i mean i have some label deals but like a lot of stuff is just i just do it myself releasing band camp and uh my priorities are really just the music itself and trying to do like the best i can with the production and the mixing and and that kind of stuff. And then, so the, the like, the sort of retrospective of, you know, what have I done? Like, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, like, gosh, going back. I mean, it was cool doing this CD called Breakdown for a label, Cherry Red. They had asked me to, to kind of catch people up. I went all the way back to the 90s and did one of Kevin's songs, Joytown, for that. And then thinking, like, gosh, some people, they don't even know about that. Maybe they know about Sound of Contact, they don't know about the continuum, or they don't know about Kevin Gilbert. And there's a lot. So it's, it is kind of on me to help sort of show people because I'm really proud of the different projects I've been part of. And I mm-hmm. think they kind of relate. Like, I think if you like Genesis, then and maybe people who like, like the Genesis tribute that we do, so all this stuff, and then they'll check out Sound of Contact because it's got Phil Collins' son on it, maybe. And then they go, wow, I really like this. And they go, this, you know, Dave guy, what's the deal? And then they check out Kevin Gilbert and they see his Genesis influences and how he took it in new directions, or the way we did the Lamb. And then check out Nick De Virgilio and his solo stuff and Spock's Beard. It's like this, like a a family tree of prog music to discover that's not that far uh, from Genesis in terms of it's you know big big train if you like Uh, Nick De Virgilio he drums great with them and yeah, they fantastic
2: them. band excellent band
0: yeah.
1: they're yeah. great so it's all kind of you know interrelated
0: yeah so you mentioned t- you're talking to simon collins i know you've, you've done the the one sound of contact album you've worked with simon on his solo albums it, what context there are you talking to simon is, is there maybe a second sound of contact coming at some point
1: nothing really concretely planned just uh, there's been some talk we obviously tried to do that <clears throat> and then it just didn't you know look like it was going to happen so we all agreed to just release our own songs i created a whole project because i had a lot of songs i was a big part of the songwriting for sound contact so both on dimension on and the, what would have been the second album so i released pretty much all of those songs already now that were supposed to be for the first sort for the second album
2: mm-hmm. i
1: have a bunch of songs that we jammed on but never did for dimension on and you know they could be a Sound of Contact album, but I ended up recording them with uh, the In Continuum guys. And that's the one that I'm sort of deciding between whether it's going to be In Continuum or a solo album. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple songs with Simon already playing on it that he would be cool with guesting on using those tracks. But probably more if I did it as as a Dave Kersner solo album than if I did In Continuum, because he just doesn't want people to be confused. And I don't blame him, you know, because In Continuum is kind of like, was created as a home for my sound of contact songs without it Mm -hmm. being sound of contact i could have just called it sound of contact (laughs) i mean when he and kelly quit matt was like you know we're sound of contact we could just be sound of contact i'm like you know man every time a band does that there's so much you know controversy there's people who hate you for it
0: drama there's baggage you don't need that (laughs)
1: yeah i'm like whatever and and the irony is that you know i'm sure it would have sold more as sound of contact but for me fortunately i'm really not in it for the money i mean i want to be successful and it costs money so i want to make money i'm not saying i'm you know it's a charity situation here but but like my main motivation is just to be authentic to do what I love, to put it out there for people to love it, not to give them a reason to hate me and go, Dave, who does he think he is? He's not Sound of Contact. I'm like, wow, I'm a big (laughs) part of it, but I agree. I don't really want to do a Sound of Contact album without Simon really, you know? So, but, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to get into the details, but we just haven't been able to do it and we don't all work the same way with the same kind of, I don't know, drive or same kind of methods. Mm -hmm. and you know the way to do it would be remotely but that's just not we've never done that so i think you know the way we did dimension on was an ideal where you have different people from around the world coming to one place i mean i gave up like half a year to be in vancouver to do that record yeah I, i can't do that again that cost me a fortune but it was worth it but uh but to do it now i've got my own studio i didn't have it like that then you know we could produce it ourselves and it would sound fantastic but with the pandemic so you know i think we all love each other we're all friends so i think we all appreciate we all get it you know we understand and people love it and we love it too so there's mm-hmm. nothing really preventing it from possibly happening in terms of in theory or in terms of like we like each other there's no like animosity or any of that stuff and any of the issues that we did have we did have some uh we're you know water under the bridge you know this life's too short to have any you know we, we've ironed that out yeah. but Good. uh yeah. Anyway, long long-winded way of saying <laughs> not right now, but maybe
0: not right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I I hear what you're saying about the not you know that you want to make money out. You got to pay off those credit cards after buying all those keyboards.
1: Yeah. Well, I wasn't expecting <laughs> music. I have other equipment that I'm selling. You know, ironically, I had an ARP Quadra, and I sold that to a band called Genetics, uh, which is a great uh, tribute band in uh, Argentina. And then I got Tony's so it's like, all right, well, you know, so there's a few things I'm selling a Mellotron. And I got Tony's Mellotron. Um, I'm selling other things, anything. And over time I'll be able to pay off the loan to get, I had to get it. It was one of those things. It was like, oh, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I have to do this. This is my, this is a dream come true for me as a keyboard player and as a Tony Banks fan growing up watching him play those keyboards and wanting to buy, the same brands now i own the actual ones it's insane yeah but it's it's worth it obviously and uh, you yeah, know i'm just gonna i mean you know yeah. people are very supportive they kind of who know what i'm trying to do it's a different thing like even though the industry is imploding or whatever people when I put out stuff, they'll they'll pay like for the deluxe editions and all these things and extra stuff that they enjoy it as I do, those mm-hmm. kind of things. But also they see that I'm trying to like continue something cool that we all like that really makes less and less business sense, but it's still something we love. So someone's yeah. got to do it anyway. And fortunately I'm like successful enough with my music. Uh, industry the music instrument industry and stuff with sonic reality and ik successful enough to be able to as a day job to essentially do what i do, do what i do for for the love of it and the art of it and right. people buy it too and support it so it's just kind of enough right. to keep it going and not give up on the whole thing yeah. you know and i think like the genesis tribute probably and the sample library i'm doing a sample library of tony's keyboards I think actually probably between the sales of those two, it'll help pay off some of that loan. I think it, I think so. And if not, then it's, I still do it anyway. You
0: know? Yeah. Well, I hope I wish you luck with it. It's uh, it's obviously a once in a lifetime opportunity for you. You had to go for it. So, you know, can't blame you. <laughs> uh, Dave Kersner. Thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time. I appreciate you coming on and talking about the lamb lies down on Broadway classic album i've enjoyed this i hope you've had a good time and um we'll have you again on uh, on again sometime
1: all right thank you michael
0: michael's record collection is hosted and produced by michael citro logographic courtesy of jerry cutchins follow michael's record collection on social media at mike's records on twitter and michael's record collection on facebook youtube and instagram if you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreoncom Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to Substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.